Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. On, um, on Hebrews 4, 9, and 10. I, I just want to read it over um, to you and, and read it out loud. It says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Uh, I'm hoping that, that just that phrase and that verse just means something totally different today. Uh, therefore remains a rest for the people of God. Um, thank God for that. You know, just as we're opening up about Thanksgiving, right? And in the midst of this moment that we're in, there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. We, we went into an, an, a, a great conversation, a great teaching, and, and a message as we were there on Sunday. And we, we, we dove into, November, into Numbers 15. And as we looked at Numbers 15, we also... Um, kind of just uh, walked on Romans for a little bit, on Romans 1, and what Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament taught in regards to the rest and in regards to what it looks like when we reject this rest and, and just, the, just the consequences of it and the, the pain that is found in it. Um, but, but in Romans and in Numbers, if you remember on Sunday, it does. It talks about... Um, we, we know the righteousness of God, but yet we practice other things. And, and from there, we dove into just, just what this rest means and what it means to God dwell in us, God dwelling in me. And, and that's kind of what we've been on for the last two weeks. And we'll, we'll, we'll just drop it here today to focus on, on something new on Sunday in, in, in maybe even a different word or whatnot, maybe Thanksgiving, who knows, but... But, but just really getting to a place of what we understand, what else does rest do? What else can rest offer? There's so much more that we can discuss. But what we spoke about in that phrase of rest, uh, we talked about it meaning abode. That, that for he who has entered his abode, for he who has entered his house, his, his place of stay, his residence. And, um, and we're talking about that being the, that blessed place, that heavenly blessedness in which God dwells in. Where, where the very God doesn't just dwell among us, remember? But but this God who we're talking about here, he dwells in us. And, and what a powerful, oh, powerful, powerful thing that is. Amen. You can say, Amanda, we'll, we're going to get started in a minute. Amanda. Amen. <laughs> but, um, no, leave him. He's in the presence. Just leave him there. Davi, whatever you want. Stay there. Um, I will, no, because I'm going to share a little bit, so I just wanted to make sure it's not just a thought, just in case he didn't know. But listen to this, Hebrews 4.10. Is anyone on Hebrews 4.10 real quick? Hebrews 4.10? Hebrews 4.10? Read it out loud. Just someone, first person, just read it. Uh, Hebrews 4.10. This is awesome. Yeah. After who rested? God rested. And, and I went into that that first week. But we've already learned this phrase, he who, has, he who has entered his rest has also ceased from his works. And, and we've learned that it means that he who has embraced a lifestyle of God in me. And I want to share this thought. He who has himself 
embraced the lifestyle of God in us, has himself also ceased from his works, it says here. So if we've entered a rest and the rest is Christ and now God now dwells in us, he who has embraced now a lifestyle of, man, I, I want to get to a place where my whole life means God now is in me. And in that God in me, also it means that I have ceased from my works. Myself has ceased from the pressure of works. And I kind of want to dive into that because that's personal to me. And it might be personal to many of us here. That we can also cease from our works. And, and I love that phrase because there's a rest that causes us to stop. There's a rest that causes us to just pause for a moment. And I like that it says, cease from his works. And that phrase of his works, it's not God's works, his works, but it's his works meaning man's works in that phrase. So it's our works. So as we look at Hebrews 4.10, as Rudy read it, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. It, it, it means something so special that if I can embrace the lifestyle of God in me, then I'm free from this constant and, and constant torture or constant mental, we could call it torture, of works to show that I've made it or bearing fruit to show that I've made it. And, and for many Christians, that's what they feel Christianity is um, defined as. I need to just bear fruit to show people that I'm a Christian or I need to show works to show that I'm a Christian. And, and that is not what defines someone as being in the faith by itself. I mean, James really breaks all that down. It's not just like do a bunch of works and then that alone will mark you as you've made it. Uh, because then we start living for something specific and not for the someone specific. And, and I want to make sure that we understand as we speak on rest, that's what I'm talking about here. Embracing a lifestyle of God in me. So I want to I wanna, I wanna touch up on something. I want to touch up on, on Luke chapter 3. And I'm just going to say for a moment, John the Baptist is now doing ministry, right? And as John the Baptist is doing ministry in the wilderness, he says something that is very important to the listener. He says this, therefore bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. It's something that is preached, something that is said a lot. Bear fruits that are worthy of your repentance. And John the Baptist, I wouldn't say he introduces it because it's all over the scripture. But we know that during his time... He's, he's, he's pretty much introducing to the Israelites something very special here. Bear fruits that are worthy of what he calls repentance here. And, and that has always throughout time in church history has been really maneuvered to fit a certain way of preaching and teaching. And I want to make sure that we really understand the framework of what John the Baptist means when he says bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. He's, he's, he's saying that this one thing, we don't bear fruits or we don't show works. He's, this is what he's saying. We don't bear fruit or we don't show works to gain or to take hold of something. To gain or take hold of repentance or salvation or forgiveness. But when John the Baptist says bear fruits worthy of repentance, it's this. Because we have received a forgiveness or received a salvation because of that, now we bear fruits and now we show works. Why is it that you work and you bear fruit the way you do? Because of salvation that I have gained in Christ. A salvation that I have received in Christ. Because of a forgiveness that I have received in Christ. That he's, that he's given me this gift. Didn't earn it, but he's given me this gift of salvation and of forgiveness. And because of that, therefore, bear fruits worthy of that. 
worthy. Show that and give worth to that which, which is showing. What, what is it that you're displaying fruits that are worthy of that act of repentance? So, so you read that phrase from John the Baptist and the author of Hebrews. And, and the, the first thing that I wrote there in my notes, kind of juggling those two thoughts was, now what a deliverance to hear this. What a deliverance for someone to hear this. That, that if we were a people, just like in John the Baptist's day, of people that were under a law. Think, think about a Jewish people. Think about the Israelites. For so many years, they were under a restriction. Law, 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 law. And as much as they were under this restriction of law, 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 they always found themselves in one, with one truth. And it's what? I fall short, I fall short, I fall short, I fall short. I haven't made it. I can't make it. I can't make it. Law, law, law. Kept pointing to them that, man, you come so short of meeting the standard. You can't reach it. It, it stirs in the one who is bound to law. It stirs in them something so much that, and, and what it stirs is, is this. And this is kind of what I want to I I talk about. It stirs in these people something that as much as I try, I recognize that I continue to find that I'm a sinner. And I become a sinner. And I'm a sinner. I, I try in the law, but I continue to prove that I'm not worthy, that I'm a sinner. As much as I, I try. A perfect example is the rich young ruler. What do I do to gain eternal life? Awesome. Follow all the commandments. I've done all that since I was a kid. Jesus tells him what? You're right. You have done all those things, but there's one thing that you lack. So everything you have, give it to the poor and then come and follow me. He walks away sorrowful. Okay? Because he followed even the law correctly, but even in a point of his life where the law of his heart wasn't right. Because what happened was his possessions was his God rather than making at that moment Jesus his God and saying, you're worth me selling all that I have. That's, that's pretty great that Jesus, because he's Jesus, sees that, right? And points that to him. So, so even in him saying, yeah, I've, I've at least followed those laws, th there was still a great law that he was falling on. So we always see that the Israelites for so many generations, um, they were bound or they were stuck in a way of being. And then John the Baptist comes into the scene. And he says, all right, y'all, therefore, bear fruits that are worthy of repentance now what what does that mean to an israelite in the wilderness during that day when we could look at that phrase and he says this because you receive a forgiveness because there's a grace and the salvation now there's a, a new lifestyle there's going to be a new lifestyle because remember his whole ministry was for the preparation of the coming of the messiah so the lifestyle was going to be beginning to be presented by John the Baptist. It was going to be sealed with the coming of Jesus. So the lifestyle that we're talking about is there's a Messiah that is coming. And, and there's a redemption that is found in him. And there's a forgiveness that will be found in him. There's a salvation that will be found in him. And what John the Baptist now is telling them is, imagine the Israelites for so many generations bound to a law that all it underlines in their life is that they're a sinner. And now they're hearing things like this. You could receive such a forgiveness to all of that in you that is fallen. The state of fallenness. The state of a fallen man. You could receive such a forgiveness and a salvation. And in that reception of forgiveness and salvation, 
now you will be able to finally bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. And the light bulb goes off to the Israelites, hopefully, and says, wow, that's, that's very free for me to hear. That's, that's a deliverance in my ears for me to hear. Because, and I look at the Israelite, and I, and I say this, because maybe we are also, just like the Israelite, bound to certain laws. How, how many of you guys know what it is to maybe have a, the law of the family? The, 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 the restrictions of what the words that your family says over you. And it's the law of the family. And your whole life you were raised under that. And then yet saying, wait a minute, but that's not what God teaches. So now what do you do? Do we abide by what our families always told us? Or we abide by the and we, we stay obedient to God? We have to make a decision, right? Family, God. God, family. Think about all the different laws that maybe are in our lives. The law of this world. As a minister, I could say the laws of ministry and of religion. The law of self. These, these, these self-man laws that I've made and that people make. You, you hear all these little slogans. Those that live in the streets, you know, and, you know, they make up all these catchy slogans and all that. But, but here's the Israelite, and here I am in this modern day. And I could say this, what a freedom that the Israelites now have, listening from John the Baptist, and in a second now, Jesus is going to walk into the wilderness, and what a confirmation found in the Messiah. And what's the confirmation? That we have, that for the Israelites, they heard it and they saw it for the very first time. Guys, just to pause on that and kind of make a right, but not really, it's the same road. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he talks about his yoke and his burden being easy and light, what do you think he's doing there? He's like, I'm, I'm coming to give a new law. I'm fulfilling that law which is heavy on you, which is bruising you, which is killing you, which is heavy on you. And I'm coming, I'm coming in my yoke now and my burden. And then he describes it as light and it's easy. Just, just, just sit on that for a moment because those are Jesus' very own words. So imagine now, here we are and imagine them, the Israelites, and, and what a freedom for us today to recognize this and for the Israelites to think of this. Ready? I don't have to perform anything to attain anything. And I don't have to plan anything to feel something. I could just get, I mean, f during the fast we talked about, and we'll discuss it, especially coming into the new year and all that a lot. We'll talk a lot about Mary and Martha and what that looks like. But, but we spoke a lot about Mary and Martha. Martha was busy like crazy in the kitchen cooking. Mary was sitting at the feet. Martha was doing everything. Mary was doing the one thing. And we looked at that throughout our fast and we said, how cool is that? That God said, yeah, there's only one thing really that I want. Jesus says, there's only one thing really that I require and the one thing will not be taken away from her. And that's that she's at my feet. She's in my presence and she's basking in that glory. You have been distracted with so many things. And it's almost like the Israelites were in the wilderness distracted by so many things. So many things. We're going to go to Israel in 2018. And I'm not lying when I say this. You'll walk around and you'll see the very religious Jews and you'll see that they're distracted by many things still today. Most of the Jewish people, or yes, they're in Judaism because just like Catholics say, yes, I'm, I'm a Catholic, but they never go to church. But that's how the majority of Israel is. But there's a minute, small amount that you'll see that they're holy men, but yet they're distracted men. They're doing things to try to gain an access 
like against the wall and putting prayers. Seriously, they're, 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 on the, they're grabbing papers, and we do it too because it's a cool you know, tradition and we pray over it. And, and they grab the cracks and they're saying prayers and they're going back and forth so that they don't get distracted what's happening. And they're, and, they're, and they're singing songs and they're reading scriptures from the Old Testament. And they're putting prayer petitions in the cracks of the walls. And, and they're saying all these prayers and the holy wall and the western wall. And, and they're doing all these things to attain something. And you and I, we just go into the throne of grace with boldness where there is mercy. And that's what I'm trying to talk about. Like, like forget the wall. I'm going, they're at the wall because in the other side of that wall is where the Holy of Holies was during the temple time. And here we are as believers in 2018. That's when we're going to be going. And we're like, forget the wall. Cross over the wall and recognize that that which you're still longing for, it's actually alive for you. Just get into the throne of grace. Go boldly. Think about the restrictions that still today, if you go in 2018, you're going to see it. And I'll point it out. Like, look. They're distracted with many things. And then we're just going to go over there like a bunch of tourists and we're not distracted by anything. We're going to go over there and we're just like, we're going to walk into the Holy of Holies. And they're waiting to receive the Holy of Holies. That's what I mean here. So there was a freedom now. There's a freedom. And in my own life, I've shared with, with many people, just, just, oh, perform, plan, set. I don't have, we don't have to do necessarily those things. Now, we have to, if God's calling us to do it, to be obedient to it. So don't. We don't justify laziness now. But what I'm trying to say is we don't do to attain. It's because we've attained that we do. It's because what I've received that I do. It's not like I need to do this so then I could become that. No, it's I've become that. So this flows from becoming that. That's it. So many times when I'm up here, I talk about son and father relationships. And I talk about the freedom that my son has. And, and, and why? So I could grab something that's visual so that the church could understand it. Like my son. That there's things that he doesn't have to do to become my son. It's because he's my son that he gets to do the things that he does. And that's a reality for us, sons and daughters. Why is it that you do what you do? Because of who I am. And that's what it is. It's not I do this to become it. It's I've become it. So I do it. And for the Israelites that became believers, that was freedom. And to the Gentile, you and I, that became freedom. Then we go in the faith and we get involved in, in this group and in this gathering. And it's so easy to fall right back into that. And fall right back into a place of, man, performing and doing. I don't have to think so hard or do so hard. So that way I could say, well, this is going to benefit. This is going to advance the kingdom of God. I'm sure already that God has in mind what he wants to benefit the kingdom of God. And how he wants to advance the kingdom of God. I believe that all we have to do is be at the right place. So that when he presses play in our lives, we're ready to take action. I don't, we don't want to get to a place that we're saying, Lord, watch us take actions. Now please come through. It's, Lord, you've come through. So then the action comes forth. And, and that's kind of what I'm resting on. And, and that's kind of what I'm seeing in this passage of Hebrews 4. That if I have God dwelling in me, like we've been discussing, I have a what flowing from me. You guys remember? If I have God dwelling in me, I have presence flowing from me. If I have God dwelling in me, I have presence flowing from me. Why does presence flow from you? Because of a God that dwells in you. That's it. Do you manufacture that presence? Do you buy that presence? 
Come on, how about in the New Testament, in, in the book of Acts, when they said, how much does that cost? Remember that passage? How much does that cost? How much does it cost to cast out demons the way you just casted out demons? Oh, man, get away from me, Paul said. You can't buy this stuff with money. That's powerful. It's Paul, get, these sorcerers were like, Paul, give me what you have. Tell me how much money it is. I'm willing to empty out my bank account. Because if the demons listen to you, we want that kind of authority. And Paul's like, this is one thing you can't buy with money. You see, what was Paul saying? It's, it's God in me that flows presence from me. And these people wanted a presence without a God. You know, I started thinking about that and I said, how many people come to church and they want a church with nice presence to make the family feel good. And say, see, I told my visitor you would like it. You're going to feel God's presence. But yet they don't want God dwelling in them. That can't be us. It's got to be God in us that flows presence from us. And that's the, that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. It's in me. It's in me. If I have God dwelling in me, I have presence flowing from me. And, and remember what I said, then, then that's going to, and I, and I wrote these three words and I underlined them, that is going to meet, empower, and envision every need and every person. Every need and every person. If you walk with God dwelling in you, there's going to be a moment where God is going to put someone in your life and then he's going to say, now. And bam, that person is going to be met. Bam, that situation is going to be met. And you're going to see an empowerment. You're going to see a, a, met, a meeting. You're going to see some sort of envisioning. And, and I'm telling you, that's from a God dwelling in us. So, so, so what are we trying to say here? That we'd rather give presence than our plans. That we'd rather give presence than our doings. Let his presence plan it. Let his presence meet it. Let his presence empower it. And let his presence give vision to it. How many of us can say amen to that? So like we're raising children now in my family, right? Something new to us. Well, it's been new to us for four years now. And um, we're raising children. So what's the best way of raising children? Because there's so many great books out there. And there's so many conferences and stuff like that. The best way to raise children is let, my pre let his presence raise them. If I'm with God, God is going to give the wisdom to raise that child. So how, what's the best way of being a husband? What's the best way I could be a husband for my wife? Easy. Here it is. God in me. Presence from me. Then I'm going to be the husband she needs. And it goes in every aspect of our life. But yes, you could read other books and you could do stuff to encourage you. But none of that is going to transform you. It's going to be God dwelling in us that's going to transform us. I believe that. So if it's in me, it flows from me. And not only does it flow from me, but I'm also free. And I'm free from justifying myself and measuring myself by works. He who has enter, <clears throat> entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works. Has ceased from his works. And, and wow, back to verse 9. That there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. I, I Wow, that people need this rest. Why? So that they could cease from all their doings. Think about the holiday season that we're in. Oh, my gosh. R really, we live in a world and in a time where holiday season is, should be all about God, and yet God is not even a drip part of it. Not even a drip part of it. But yet we, we'll, fat, we'll, we'll make something that makes sure that God's in it, or we'll say a prayer on Thanksgiving, but God's not in it because we're busy and we need money and we need to go to the mall and there's traffic and there's plans and there's parties. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, but, but what I'm trying to tell you is, is we're, we're forgetting and we're not recognizing this main thing and that we could just get to a place that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There still remains a rest for me. 
And I said this on Sunday. I said that I could get to a place where I could enter home. I could enter my stay place. I could enter my residence, my abode. What is that? I hope you guys are getting this and getting this and dream about this and speak about this and talk to yourself and let people think you're crazy. But it's this. It's entering a lifestyle of God in me. God in me. God in me. So back to the beginning of my first message to last Sunday. It's about entering a lifestyle. Back to that definition, entering a lifestyle of heavenly blessedness in which the God of presence dwells, God in me. And in there, if you remember Sunday, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for, the, for those who love him. And, and I think that's, that's what we're hungering for. That's what we're thirsty for. That's what we're craving. I want to crave for what my eye has not seen. I want to crave for the things that my ear have not seen. I want to crave for the things in which my heart do not even understand that he has prepared for me. And that's it. You know, um, just to cite a commentary, it's so cool to see this. The ESV study Bible gives a commentary on, on this passage. And, and it's, I, I found this so interesting because it's exactly what I'm sharing and look how they explain verse 9 and 10, and, and specifically verse 10 of Hebrews 4. This is uh, not my words, but this is a study Bible commentary from the ESV. Look what it says. It says, the promise of entering now into the rest. The promise of entering now into the rest. It means ceasing from the spiritual strivings that reflect uncertainty about one's final destiny. I'm reading a book on Luther, and, and that was Luther's main problem. Martin Luther's main problem was he didn't know for sure what he needed to do to receive heaven and salvation. And his main struggle all throughout his life was he always fell short. Actually, he came from a wealthy family. He came from a very recognized family. His, his dad paid all the money. He went to an elite university the whole nine. One day, he's, he's riding on a horse, lightning struck. He falls off his horse. He thought he was going to die, and he made a promise to God. He said, if I survive this lightning strike, I promise you I will become a monk. <laughs> this is a true story, Martin Luther. He goes to the monastery, becomes a monk, and for years, he's trying to gain a salvation through works. And the more he tries, I don't know if you know about Martin Luther, but Martin Luther suffered from heavy, heavy, massive depression. Martin Luther was massively depressed most of his life because he was trying to, he was a monk and he could not understand and fathom how to gain salvation until enlightenment came and a light bulb went off and God moved in him. And then the rest is history. The 95 Thesis, he goes against the Catholic Church. He puts it on the Wittenberg church um, doors and, and, and the Reformation um, starts to kick off and, and, and a lot of crazy stuff starts to happen. But, but this phrase is exactly what he was going through, that the promise of entering now into this rest, it means seizing from spiritual strivings that reflect uncertainty about one's final destiny. Your final destiny is secure in Jesus Christ and we all know where that's at. So we're not working on something. It's because of that something that we do show works. And and that's what he needed to understand, Martin Luther, and that's where we're at. And then the ESV says this, it means enjoyment, I love this, love this. It means enjoyment of being established in the presence of God. I wish I wrote this. To share in the everlasting joy that God entered when he rested on the seventh day. So all of Hebrews 4.10 
the study Bible commentary says, it just means enjoyment of being established in the presence of God. Established in the presence of God. It means being established. He who's found his rest. He who has been established in the presence of God. That's what we've been preaching for the last three weeks. And we'll share now in an everlasting joy that even God himself entered when he said on that seventh day, let there be rest. And when you look at this, what the study Bible and the commentary is saying, and I'll wrap it up with this. God came to a place of day one, two, three, four, five, and six. He, he, he created so much, so much. But if you remember two weeks ago when I first taught this message, I, I said, but he also created a seventh day. Sometimes we forget that the seventh day was part of his creation. And the one thing that he created on the seventh day was a thing called rest. And it was going to point a bigger picture. It wasn't that he was just vacationing. It's pointing a bigger picture. And I believe that that seventh day of now we could rest, I also believe it means now I could. And if you remember years ago, I, uh, maybe not years ago, maybe a year ago, I preached on this passage if you were here. And I talked about how it's a form of even using the word celebrate, celebrate. He who has entered his celebration, the celebration of Christ and this rest in him. That now this could also mean that this celebration means, oh, my seventh day, this rest, I've also entered a place of rain. Just rain. I'm literally reigning. Think about how a king reigns. How does a king reign? He sits on his what? That's amazing. How do you reign? Ephesians says that we sit where? We reign where? On heavenly high places. Sitting on heavenly high places. How did Martha reign? She didn't. She was standing working in the kitchen. But how did Mary reign? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. So God comes to a place on the seventh day, sits on his throne. I'm resting, a.k.a. I'm reigning. And then he says, and all of my creations, soon in my son, you'll also be sitting, um, a.k.a. reigning with him in heavenly high places. So powerful. So we can now live in what we've always be believed we're going to live in later. How many of you have always believed later in eternity we're going to reign? Right? But it's not later. We could actually say, wait a minute. I could start believing now. That I could start reigning now. Before eternity. I could already start reigning with Christ. And, and, and that's where we're at. How can I. Now you ask me. How do I get there? Here it is. Find the seventh day. Find the rest. Find the rest. You don't have to become a seventh day Adventist. Find the rest. Just find the rest. Don't, don't get focused on a day and make that the holy day. No. Get focused on a person and make them holy upon you. So now you become holy. You become set apart. Find the rest in that. And reign in that. Celebrate in that. Rest in that. We can now reign. Amen? We could share now what the commentary says. <clears throat> in everlasting joy that God enters, which is reign. So embrace that. Embrace the supernatural. How are you doing? I'm reigning in heavenly high places with Christ Jesus my Lord. Can you imagine walking into work tomorrow? How are you doing today? I'm sitting in heavenly high places with Jesus Christ, my Lord. You are a freak. I mean, it's probably not the wisest thing to do, but you know sure well inside. When you say, I'm doing well, what you really mean is I'm reigning in high places with Jesus, seated. Now, can you imagine when you say, I'm doing well, deep down inside, you just remember that? I'm sitting in heavenly high places with Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm doing well. That's great. That's good. Because it's biblical truth. And embrace that. Embrace that there is a supernatural and you living within the natural could start flirting and messing around with the supernatural. Maybe you get scared of that. But, but yeah, glory. We sing songs of supernatural all the, every Sunday almost. Glory and reigning and uh, give me some songs that we sing. Um, 
I can't even think of all the songs we sing, but almost all of them deal with supernatural. We should just change the words. Supernatural, fall on me. Like, that's what we're singing. So do we believe what we're actually singing when we're crying for the supernatural to fall on the natural? Sharing that. Embrace the supernatural. Embrace the feet of God. Embrace that presence. Share in this everlasting joy. God reigns there. Everyone say there. Yeah, yeah. He reigns in that realm. In that realm, I'll use the word realm right now. But he, he reigns in that realm, in that world. But, but is that the only place where he reigns? Where else does God reign? He reigns in this realm, in this world. We're talking about two whole different realms that have just come together and collided. It, what's that called? What's that called in science when two realms collide? At least like two universes or whatever that's called. What is it? Isn't that called something? Man. You're a science person in here. When two, when two, um, it's called something. I'm gonna look it up. Two universes like mixed together. If that's whatever, that's what's happened. His whole universe with our whole universe, and 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 now he reigns there, but then he also reigns here. How in the world does he reign in this world? Easy. Someone said it by reigning in us, reigning in the church and the beloved. So now we reign, we reign because God reigns in us. God reigns in us. Um. Man, I hope I say this right. I'm really bad at storytelling. <laughs> I heard an interview today, and uh, he's a godly man. And it used to be the, the original guy that used to be inside the Burger King King. His name is Todd Wilkerson. He's actually the nephew of David Wilkerson, who was the old pastor from Times Square Church. And Todd Wilkerson is, was the, the original Burger King King, King, whatever his name was, the King. And the interviewer, who's a very sarcastic, but he's a Christian, messing with him, says, wow, you know, you were the king, and so on. And he says, yeah, yeah, but you know, I was, listen to what he says. He goes, I was inside a king, but the king was inside of me. I was inside a king with the king inside of me. And I said, wow, that was pretty deep. So, so I rule with the king inside of me. So... Um, so, so good that he said that. It was a joke when he said it, obviously, guys. But, but to say something like he recognized, I was. I, for many years, I was known as a Burger King king. But yet the king, I was in a king, but the king was in me. And um, how ironic was that, he says. And I said, well, I could share that with you, right? Can we share that with him? The king is in us. And there's a reigning so we could put on our crowns. Amen. God reigns not just there, but God also reigns where? Here and where? in us so three things and we're done what does psalm 46 10 mean to you now after last two sundays ago last sunday and today what does psalm 46 10 mean when it says things like this be still and know that i am god what what does a, a verse like that now mean to us when we're talking about this rest how about exodus 33 14 when the lord tells moses this my presence will go with you and i will give you rest what does that, what do verses like that mean to us now? How about in James 1, I mean, I just picked three just to pick them because there's so many. How about in James 1, 6, you know, if, for those who are not resting, right, in his promises and so on, and that comes through faith, what, what does this mean now? That those people are like a wave of the sea that are driven and tossed by the wind. Every single one of these verses deals with a place where God dwells in us, either a place of there or lack of. And, and I think when we look at scripture through that lens, God in me, God in me, that's home. Home is God in me. God, home is God in me. Rest is home. Home is God in me. 
and um, we start to chew on scripture like that, I think you're going to be able to live so much freer than that which you condemn yourself to. If that made any sense right there. But, but that's what I believe. I believe you'll live so much freer. So I just want to encourage you with that. I want to love you in that. And uh, just honor God, man, and, and just honor you guys and say, uh, man, praise God for such a, a burden and such a yoke, right, that is light, that is light, and that is easy on us so that now we can live in a freedom with God dwelling in us, all right, just receiving that and then playing it out, what, what he's done in us first. So I, I don't know. I want to I wanna just go ahead and, and just let's pray real quick, and then we'll go from there. Lord, thank you because... You dwell in us, you reign, you rest, and we find that rest, and we find that reign. And um, there's the truth, Lord. We, we want to make that home. The home is a place where God is in us. And in that place that we call home, that place we call stay, like we learned on Sunday, the place we call abode, is now also a place in which we say we're saved from our works, we're saved even from our works. That, Lord, I don't work to receive any kind of salvation. I don't bear fruit to receive any kind of repent, any kind of forgiveness or redemption. But, Lord, my fruit and my works are evidence of repentance and of forgiveness and of salvation. And thank you that we are liberated from the freedom of I have to do, I have to be, I have to. That we could just say, Lord, transform me here. Dwell in me. And there you will do all that you need to do in me. I believe that over this house. I believe that over our lives. And I pray that you would make that such an, uh, just a, a truth, an evident truth in our life that would have us moving forward forever, Lord. Thank you for such a time as this, the world that we live in. Because, Lord, I believe that in the midst of crazier days, we are going to see a more peaceful, restful people because of a God that dwells in them. How many of you could say amen? Lord, bring the crazy, but lift up the rest in us. Lift up the rest so that we could be a testimony of your goodness. Amen. We believe that and we declare that in Jesus' name. And we say, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.